Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at Locked On WBB. Make sure you listen every day, five days a week. Lindsey Gibbs, Erica Ayala, and All-Star Team bringing you coverage of the WNBA every single weekday. And I am joined by someone who has provided us with plenty to cover, both this year and, of course, through a storied career, an Olympian, uh, a champion by any measure, and that's Angel McCautry. Angel, thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you so much for having me. I, I want to start, if I can, by talking about how personal Brianna Taylor's story is to you. As somebody with deep ties to the city of Louisville, your work on this has been something that stood out even among your peers. Can, can you take me through when you first heard about what happened and what your initial steps and reactions have been uh, to grow into what has been an enormous megaphone for the cause. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, just like any other story, Selma, to be honest, it's, it's just devastating, you know, it's draining, it's devastating. You know, you're just tired of hearing about innocent lives like that being lost, you know. Uh, of course, um, the connection that I have with Boyville was definitely, uh, you know, a big deal, and I wanted to be able to you know, extend myself to the city and, and let them know that I was supporting them and Brianna's uh, family, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know, and it's funny because I went to school with Daniel Cameron, who's the attorney general, and, um, you know, the fact that, you know, nobody has been held accountable, uh, you know, for her passing, it's, it's just really tough. It seems to me like there's a divide in this country, not just between people who care about this and people who don't and that's a different conversation and what I, I don't understand at all but there's a divide between people who understand this as part of daily life and people who are shocked people who are shocked that day after day after day goes by without anyone being held accountable for what happened when did you cross that divide from shock to an understanding of how how young were you when it happened? Um, I'm not sure if I kind of realized the divide when I was younger, um, but as, I, as I've become an adult, you know, it was evident that, you know, I was living in the top racist country in the world, um, especially when I would go overseas. I remember someone asked me, like, hey, why do you guys always refer to black and white? Aren't you all American? That's when my eyes started to open. I think traveling is a thing that many people should do because um, it definitely opens your eyes to different things. You know, like mm -hmm. Africa is not the slums. Africa is a beautiful country of cities that are be more beautiful, some more, some more beautiful than America, but that's not shown. You know, so there are a lot of things that I feel like people are uneducated on that, you know, they're just lacking on education-wise. Like, for example, my seventh grade book, had, um, you know, we were talking about ancient Egyptians, and they were all blonde-haired, blue-eyed Egyptians and pictures in the books. And <laughs> I remember my seventh-grade teacher said, oh, just let you know the Egyptians were black people. And I'm like, no, they're not. You know, so you have to educate yourself, first of all. You must travel so you can see that what you see in the media is not true half the time. And I think um, the divide in our country is very blatant when you go to other countries. If you can see their togetherness. Now, yeah, America's a big melting pot, but to me, that's a very beautiful thing. 
to have a melting pot in the country, but for people to divide the melting pot, you know, and, and my thing is if you wanted everyone to be the same as you, how boring, how boring of a world mm-hmm. do you want to live in? And Why bo- not want to live with people with different cultures and races because it makes the world interesting and different. It, it, I don't want to live in a world with everybody looking the same way as me. That What a boring world. That's basically death. And it, for people not to see that, you know, it's really interesting. It, 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 it really, as somebody who grew up with that idea, with that idea of America being a collection and an ever-increasing collection of cultures, uh, it, it, it does boggle my mind. But I, I, I was really struck by something you just said about how travel makes a difference. And as we both know, uh, and, and I've covered this for a long time, that the WNBA has led the way on these racial justice conversations. And of course, it doesn't seem like a coincidence, especially when you talk about the fact that a majority of WNBA players have earned a living, as you have, by playing 12 months a year and playing overseas. Do you think that has played a part in not just the W leading the way, the players of the W leading the way, because it wasn't always with the lead support, uh, though that has obviously changed, but also a fuller understanding of the states and what the conversation needed to be. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, partly living overseas has helped, you know, those eye openers and to understand different things that a lot of people don't understand. For example, when I lived in Russia during the time when people were <clears throat> blaming Putin for hacking into our political system. And from living over there, I was like, guys, you really believe that? <laughs> I'm like, these people over here have their own political issues. They're not worried about America's political issues. They're not living in America. I have to explain that to people. Like, Putin did not hack into anybody's political system. How, First of all, how in the world um, does uh, someone hack into another person's political system and how does, would America even allow that you know so just the stuff that's on the media that I see that's very bogus that for me living in those countries you know I know but if I just lived in America and I just saw the news I would believe it too and I'm like oh my god Russia's hacking boom boom and I'm, I would be fed into it too but I, have, I got to live in that country so I know it was bogus you know it uh, and the Russian people knew it was bogus, too. <laughs> they were like, really? Y'all believe? I can't believe Americans are believing this. And I was like, yeah, I can't either. Because just living over there, you just knew that it didn't happen. Wow. They have their own issues. It, it, a, a lot of information about that, for sure. And, uh, you know, whether it was the Russian government who did that. and uh, I, I know that's been established by uh, the Mueller report and by other things as well. Um, but certainly, there's a lot of factors at play. Um, but if I could move beyond that at, and um, and talk about basketball as well, it, it, it has been striking to me. You you made a comment uh, to a, a terrific piece uh, by by Gina Mazel in the New York Times that you were surprised that people were surprised by how well you're playing this year. So I'm just going to present briefly why I think people might be surprised and and get your take on on some of the specifics. But why it might be is that um, you are coming off of a major injury. Typically, you'll see players 
regress somewhat after that uh, that level of injury. And you're also now playing in a new team, in a new system, and you're doing so under extremely challenging circumstances. So, you know, to, to do this in Bradenton, to do this within uh, the, the Wubble, I think, is significant. And you're putting up numbers that are not just as good as what has clearly already been a Hall of Fame career. Your numbers are the best they've ever been. You know, if you go by a true shooting percentage, your efficiency is the best it's ever been. Your assist percentage is the best you've had since 2013, and your total rebounding percentage is the best of your career as well. So I'm just using all of that as prologue to say, do you feel as if you are the best you've ever been as a player right now? No, I don't. I feel like um, I have a long ways to go, and I feel like, um, you know, um. You know, that's all that just the efficiency just comes with experience. Hmm. You know, I've been in the league a long time, so the more experience you have, I feel like the more efficient you should be. But I feel like I'm nowhere near where I need to be, and you know, I want to be able to, you know, play more than 25 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to see if I can only do that, especially in the playoffs. I want to be able to, you know, do those kind of things and, and be efficient for 40 minutes. So um, there's a lot of things that. I feel like I could work on, but I don't feel like I'm nowhere near I need to be. But also, I don't know why people are surprised of of the comeback. Well, let me ask you this. You're saying you know where you need to be this year, which is obviously a scary prospect for anyone anyone playing you uh, come playoff time or anyone trying to cover you uh, defensively. Do you think you are a better player now than you even were for a decade in Atlanta? And, And that's a decade where you were an Olympian. That's a decade where you were a five-time All-Star. Do you think your game has improved even beyond where it was? Um, mentally, yes. Um, physically, uh, I still just have a little ways to go. I'm not, I, of course, I'm not as quick, and I don't jump as high from my injury. And there's certain movements that I still want to, um, you know, get down from the injury. Mm-hmm. So I think once I establish some things physically, I think I'll be you know, kind of close to where I want to be. What I have always loved about your game at the defensive end is your ability to read a pass. And it's manifested itself in your steal percentage. Your steal percentage is 3.6 for your career. One of the very best to have ever done this in this game. Uh, You're at three this year. So despite uh, whatever uh, quickness issues that you're talking about that you want to continue to work on or that have been reduced by your injury and recovery from it, it hasn't affected your ability on the court. Are, are you seeing the game differently after a year away? And does, it, does a year away allow you to think the game in a different way than you did before? Um, I would say so. Year, year away, you definitely have a lot of time to think. Um, you know, you just hear a lot of, of course, the haters talking. Um, I think it, it just bring, it, it brings a lot of humility and passion. You know, cause sometimes you have to miss something in order to come back better. Mm-hmm. What did you do when you missed it? How did you get your basketball fix when you weren't playing? You know, I watched film, uh, studied a lot, you know, continued to work on my game. Mm-hmm. I did different things like that. And so I, I understand you had this conversation with Bill Laimbeer and you decided 
that Las Vegas was the place for you to come. How challenging has it been, though, to relocate without relocating? You know, to think that you were going to Las Vegas physically, only to have this season be something that was totally different in terms of how it was oriented geographically. Yeah, um, it was weird because, you know, being in one team for such a long time, but I knew that in, in order for me um, to heighten my career, I, I it was hard for a change. So um, I think that um, I had to adjust in the beginning, but now I've gotten pretty used to the girls and, you know, everything um, that this team has to offer. Let's, let's talk about some of your teammates who were, who were really standing out this year. And obviously, uh, conversation begins around Asia Wilson you're obviously getting to see her up close in a different way than some of the other major candidates. But do you see her as an MVP candidate in this lead and, and uh, you know, obviously in years beyond, but in 2020 as well? Yeah, for sure. I definitely uh, see her as um, an MVP this year. I think she's the MVP. I think that, in um, you know, she's going to dominate this league for the next 10 years. Hmm. Uh, I see a minimum of three, at least three. At least three. It's laying out quite a marker for her, but certainly one that she seems up for. And in large part, this Las Vegas team is a bit different than when you even originally signed on. Back back in the offseason when it was expected Liz Cambage would play, obviously it was prior to the Achilles injury that sidelined Kelsey Plum. What do you think has allowed a team that had to create an identity on the fly in many ways to be able to do it. And how much were you able to use your experience and your ability to take teams deep into the playoffs uh, as a means to let Las Vegas understand what its identity ought to be this year? Um, I think that uh, coming in, I think, you know, I don't even think we still even found our identity yet of what type of team we are. That's the crazy part. And I don't think, um, you know, a lot of teams even had time from this weird situation. We just had to come in and hurt and play. But from what I can see, you know, the identity of the team is, you know, um, you know, inside out. Um, you know, play through Asia, inside to the outside. And, you know, I want the team to be more of a running team. Mm -hmm. uh, that's my goal for the team. You know, if we can run a lot more in transition, I think – We'll uh, have a, a great chance to do some, you know, great things in the playoffs. So, if we can be a really, really, really fast running team, um, to add that to our to our identity, I think uh, it's going to be very dangerous. You were particularly dangerous in the game against Seattle, uh, eighty-two to seventy-four win on August twenty-second, and notably in that game, you grabbed a game a, a Vegas high. 14 rebounds. You and Asia were battling on the boards and trying to win that battle first and foremost. And it seems to me like when you talk about inside out, you guys are playing differently than any other team in the WNBA. Your, your team is focused so relentlessly on the paint. Do you think that part of what has allowed you guys to be as successful as you've been so far this year is that your style is singular that it almost seems like teams are not familiar not ready for that when you guys are bringing that level of intensity on the interior 
Uh, I don't think the teams are ready for it. They've scouted it. Um, I just think, um, you know, we're very efficient in the paint. And um, hopefully with Plum coming back and um, Kayla together, uh, we'll get more three-point shots. Because mm-hmm. so, three-point shots are important in these games. But uh, right now we're just carrying it in the paint. And you're shooting north of 40% from three. So obviously, again, this goes back to your efficiency. You're giving people a look that gives you the opportunity to get into the lane more and drive. And those two have always complemented each other for your game. Do you feel like you're getting more room on the perimeter this year in Vegas in part because there's been so much of that emphasis on the interior? Say that again for me. I just wonder if your looks are different and clearer this year from the exterior because there's been so much of a focus, uh, you know, especially obviously defenses are not just thinking about uh, what you're able to do, get into the basket and always have, but also Asia and also Derek Hamby and, you know, the number of weapons who score around the rim. No, I would say the defenses on me are the same. Yeah, they're all in my face, all, all in my grill. <laughs> and that's what I'm used to. I like that because that means I'm doing something right. That's you know, true. When they double Asia and I'm trying to cut, I'm not open because somebody's all in my face. So mm-hmm. someone else is open. So I think, you know, D-Rob has done a good job cutting to the basket when uh, <clears throat> when Asia gets doubled and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. Hasn't slowed you down. Said, no. Has not slowed you down at all. Well, Never. So, Never. so here we are on the precipice of the playoffs, which are a couple of weeks away. And and I guess I'd like to, to end our, our conversation today in, in a pair of ways with that. Number one, if you guys win a championship, and that seems very much on the table, I know that's a large part of what brought you to Las Vegas. Have you envisioned what that's going to feel like and how different that's going to be from any experience that you've had just because it'll be happening in front of an absence of fans? You know, people will be watching nationally, people will be watching internationally on TV, but how different that's going to feel? I haven't envisioned that yet, and actually that needs to be part of my, my vision uh, before the playoffs start. Thank you for that. So. Sure. Um, no, I haven't even thought about that yet because I've been trying to focus on our seating for the playoffs. But mm-hmm. you know, uh, but I'm definitely going to do a visualization <laughs> of and, what that's going to feel like. And and I'm glad you mentioned seating because what's interesting when you look at home away records that this year WNBA home teams are actually slightly better than they were last year, which of course is a very odd thing since everybody's playing in the same two courts. I'm wondering whether you felt a difference when you guys are designated as the home team and whether that plays a part in thinking about how important seeding is. You know, the, the theory was going in, obviously one and two, you get the double buys, but what does it matter? There's no quote unquote home court advantage. It seems like there is. And I wonder whether your thinking has changed about that. I don't, in a bubble situation, for me, it, that doesn't seem, you know, like a really, really big deal because you're just playing the same court every day. Right. You know, it's, I, I don't feel a difference there just because it's, it's a bubble situation. Do you think we're at a point, though, where it since it's happening so much, and, and, and it's across the board, it's, you know, you, you look at what individual teams are doing. So, for instance, you guys 
are very good everywhere. You're eight and two at home, four and two on the road. Well, at Seattle, their only losses are on the road. The Sparks are seven and zero at home and five and four on the road. It, it's up and down the lead. You're seeing these results. What could this be? What's going on? You're in the you're in the wobble. You tell me. I I never even knew that statistic, but you know that's interesting. But to me, I, I just don't see a difference because of, because of the, um, the the way the bubble set up. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, we just lost to two teams twice. That's how I look at it. And, and so we should be. And so, for your mind, the seeding it's about getting one of those top two to get the time off, rather than uh, anything to do with one versus two or having home court advantage in those games come playoff time? Um, we just want the one or two seed at this mm-hmm. point. I don't care about like, who who gets to wear the red jersey or the black jersey or whatever. <laughs> who cares about that part? Fair we enough. want the double black. Understood. <laughs> well, so, and then just to take it back full circle and to talk about when you think big picture about this season, so much energy has been spent, so much time has been spent on elevating the conversation around racial justice and making sure that people are thinking about it, not from time to time, not when another tragedy takes place in this country, but as a permanent part of the way in which the country thinks about its civics. Do you have a goal in mind you know, if we're talking about, and, and I brought up visualization because you and I have talked before. I, I know that's a, a significant part of your preparation. Have you envisioned what success on the racial justice front will look like, will feel like, when you'll know that this 2020 season has produced what you were hoping it would? Yeah, um, that's when people are held accountable for their actions. And uh, once we see you know, uh, this police brutality stop and more cops are arrested for their wrongdoings. That's the vision, you know. Yeah. And I think once we see that and people are held accountable, then it's going to be like, oh, man, they, this system is not playing. Uh, this stuff is working. So that's what the main vision is. And we'll continue, all of us, to say Breonna Taylor's name and hope that that day is upon us sooner than later. But in the meantime, Angel McCautry, thank you for all the work you're doing. Uh, appreciate your insight thank always, you so much. And, uh, and and thank you for taking the time to illuminate that for our listeners as well. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.